Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Are you sold out for God? Would you move to a foreign land if he called you to the mission field? Well, Stan and Pam Chi of Australia have done just that. In this interview, they share about their lives of service to God and Christ. They grew up in Australia, but they have been serving in Toronto, Canada for the last decade. Of particular note is how they started and continue to do college outreach at the University of Toronto, and you'll hear all about that in this episode. Here now is episode 300, Christian Disciples with a Mission, with Stan and Pam Chi. Hello, Stan and Pam Tree. Welcome to Restitutio. Um, so glad that you could join me today. Uh, Thanks for having thank us. You. Thank you, Sean, for giving us this opportunity. Well, let's start in the beginning. Share a little bit about your background and where you grew up. Pam and I were both Chinese. <clears throat> we were born and brought up in Australia. So we're basically um, Australian-born Chinese, or um, some people would like to refer to us as ABC. But I know that in America, ABC means American-born Chinese. But yeah, so we're Australian-born Chinese. And what was it like growing up in Australia being Chinese? Was it uh, something where your culture was very important to you? Or did you really assimilate a lot? I mean, you sound very Australian to us uh, or to me. I was brought up in a, a city called Melbourne. And Melbourne's quite a, it's quite a big city already. But I was the only... Chinese in my school. And um, at first, that kind of made things a little bit difficult. And I would be, I guess I would be picked on. But at that time, you know, my, I had a God-fearing mom, she had just become Christian, and she um, taught me some principles of life. And she said, you know, instead of getting angry at them, just, you know, laugh together with them. So every time they, they would, you know, pick on me, they'll, you know, say something about my Chinese race, um, I would just laugh with them. And then after a while, I think they just got a little bit sick of teasing me and <laughs> we became really good friends. But, you know, that was generally uh, the life as a, as a Chinese during, during that time. Hmm. What about you, Pam? My area was probably a lot more multicultural. So Melbourne generally is a very much metropolitan um, city. So I didn't really... Res- you know, experience any bullying or racism. Um, I did grow up with a bit of an identity crisis. Being Australian-born Chinese, the Chinese don't really take you as being Chinese, but oh. the, the Australians don't take you to be fully Australian either. So you, you know, you kind of grow... I grew up not wanting to speak Chinese, not wanting to be Chinese, but I think around my teens, we formed our own group of Asians born and brought up in Australia um, so we understand the the way our culture works, and we also know we're not fully Caucasian in the in, like in terms of culture and like right. what you would experience at home. Um, Asian parents tend to be more strict. You know, we weren't allowed to go to sleepovers and you know things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit of an identity crisis. Wow, that's interesting. What about your faith? What was it like growing up? Uh, were you? I mean, Stan mentioned that his mom had just become a Christian. What about you, Pam? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yeah, pretty much. Um, my parents were part of the Baptist church, so um, I was sort of born into a Christian family, but they weren't really serious about their faith until I was about 
nine, nine or ten. And that's when um, they joined the Disciples Church and they got baptized. And pretty much from then on, they, they got really serious that they even got into mission work and eventually into full-time ministry. Wow. For you, was that really a turning point, Pam, that you started taking your faith seriously too? Or was it just your parents? It was mainly my parents. I think I was still kind of young at that time. But because of their move and the choices that they made, I think since young, I had the opportunity to see how God looked after our family, especially um, you know, when I was 10, my parents decided to join um, a missionary agency um, who found them a job in, in mainland China. This is back when China was not even open yet. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that year was tough, but at the same time, we really experienced God. So God really became a reality rather than just, you know, a religion. Uh, what about you, Stan? Were you, um, was there a definitive moment where you came to Christ or was it just kind of a slow, steady process? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a dramatic conversion experience, you know, certainly not at the level of, you know, the Apostle Paul. Um, but uh, I would say that my conversion was really a result of a combination of many things. You know, for example, my parents' faith and their experiences. And, yeah, their experiences really had an impact in my life. And they would share to me, you know, all these really wacky things that really happened to them <laughs> and um, how God actually got them out of the situation. Um, if I had more time, I would actually talk about that. And also, I think the life, the teaching experiences of um, Pastor Eric Chang, who is the founder of Christian Disciples Church, um, he had a significant impact on my life. His experiences about how he was in China, how God looked after him, and how God took him out and eventually, yeah, bringing him to England. I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast should probably grab a copy of this, How I Came to Know God by Eric Cheng. Um, his faith, his experiences really spoke a lot to my life. And I think um, just seeing how God changed my friends from, you know, being depressed, selfish people to joyful, self-giving people really inspired me to pursue after God. Yeah, I guess with all these combinations, it just amounted to one point where I said, you know, this God is really real. It's really true. And I want to give my life to him and serve him. About how old were you when you did that? Uh, I was about 21. I was 21 when that happened. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was going through a really rough period in my life. Yeah, in high school, you know, I did very well. But when I went to university, I wasn't really in the right mindset. And so for the first semester, I no, sorry, for the second semester, I had failed three subjects out of four. And I was really wondering, you know, like um, I was really crying out to God because I thought I was going to get kicked out of university. Mm-hmm. And um, but God just took me out of that situation. And you would have thought that I would have learned but I didn't. And I got myself into, you know, a relationship. Um, and that didn't really do well for you know, my academics and my spiritual life. And eventually that kind of, you know, tanked. And I was really hitting rock bottom and I was crying out to God, God, you know, I really need you in my life. I think from then on, you know, God just got me out of the miry clay and just set my foot upon the rock. Mm. Yeah, my life just changed after that. Wow. Pam, did you want to add anything to that about your own story? Yeah, so... Growing up in Australia, I think in, in a first world country, very much like America or Canada, we really do live in a bubble, especially if you haven't traveled. You know, we think 
this is life and you you might only see poverty on television and realize the struggles that other people are going through but I think because of my parents decision to join the missionary agency and how we went to China for a year um, it really opened my eyes so those experiences I think um, really you know made an impact in my life where I always wanted something more I wasn't satisfied with just the general first world country life you know, get married, have kids, settle down, you know, live in a big house. So um, as I was growing up and when I reached about 17, 18, I really wanted something more. During a year that I was in Hong Kong, this was during my, when my parents were in training for, for full-time ministry, mm-hmm. I met a group of young people whose, whose lives really stood out to me. And I'm like, they've, they've got something that I want. They've got something I don't have. And I realized what that was, and that was God. Although I had grown up with God, I, I knew about God, I grew up with you know religion and church and everything, but um, their lives really spoke to me. And so after I returned to Australia, um, that's when I made that commitment. I see, yeah. Let's talk about the Christian Disciples Church and their focus on missionary work, because you, you two have both brought that up, that your, your parents got very involved is that pretty standard among people in the Christian Disciples Church that everybody has this missionary mindset, or is it just certain people? I can't really speak on behalf of everyone in Christian Disciples Church, but I think, you know, Christian Disciples Church being named Christian Disciples Church um, really has an emphasis on making disciples of all nations. And so, yes, I would say that the leaders of Christian Disciples Church um, mostly will be very mission-minded. Christian Disciples Church at this time, we all started off as a um, predominantly Asian church. That's why, you know, CDC is mostly found in Asia at this moment. But, you know, we've always had the mindset that we want to make a breakthrough, you know, even though that God had made us into Chinese people, but the gospel is for everyone. And we're just hoping that God will be pleased to use us to spread the gospel to every part of the world. And we live in very interesting times because you can find Chinese um, in every part of the world. And that kind of like acts as a catalyst for us to get to that part of the world and just, God willing, start a ministry there and hopefully reach out to the locals there. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Let's talk about your story, your two stories, how they intertwine. Uh, When did you first meet each other and how did you end up getting married? (laughs) <laughs> well, I've known Stan since I was seven. Oh, wow. So we, and he, he's a couple of years older than I, um, we met in Sunday school. Uh-huh. So, okay. but yeah, I don't think anything happened until around university. Uh-huh. And were you the girl that he got in a relationship with that he shouldn't no, have? No, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> 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 Nothing to do with me. <laughs> And um, as I mentioned, growing up, I was a Chinese that wasn't very Chinese. I never, I was never interested in marrying anybody of my own race. Ah, yeah. Okay. But things changed. <laughs> wow. So, uh, Stan, did you just show up with like a, a Australian cowboy hat and a crocodile <laughs> Dundee knife? I mean, how did you, uh, how did you impress her? <laughs> That's a very good question. No, I think um, at that time. 
um, her parents were away in Asia serving in the ministry. And, you know, she was pretty much, I guess, alone in, in Australia. And I was in a similar situation and we had similar backgrounds. Mm. Yeah, Pam just had this really, really caring characteristic about her. I remember when I first went back, well, this is a long story, but um, I was in Hong Kong during my high school days. And then I went back to Australia. And when I was back in Australia, I was feeling pretty lonely. And, um, you know, Pam, out of the kindness of her heart, decided to make me a cake for my birthday. Oh. And at that time, I thought, um, wow, you know, like no one has ever done that for me before. And I thought, wow, that, that, that's very interesting. And that's, I, I guess that kind of started off, yeah, the whole me liking her. And eventually one thing led to another. And uh, yeah, we found that we shared the same spiritual direction in life. And I think that's the most important thing. He didn't mention that that cake was rock hard as well. Oh, was it? (laughs) (laughs) My first cake, probably. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, like um, years down the track, we found that we were, we shared the same direction in life. We felt that, you know, God had really given us to each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. And from then on, I think, uh, yeah, there was really no reason why not to be together and, you know, be a partner for life. But there was a period where you were together, but you were geographically separated. What what was the deal with that? We were dating for about five years before we were married. But three of those five years, we were, yeah, in different cities or sometimes in different countries. And we pretty much saw each other maybe once a year during those those three years. So, wow. Um, this That's was incredible. after Stan graduated university before I did. And after graduation, he went to Asia and I was still finishing off my degree. And then after I graduated, um, I studied education. I actually went to China to teach English for about two years. And although by that time I was in Asia, it was not in the same city that Stan was in. And China's pretty big. So, yeah, we were away from each other. And I think this is where, you know, having the same values and having the same direction is really key because that's what brought us together in the end. Very good. So you, you made it through that whole time apart and eventually got married. Mm-hmm. And then where did you decide to go next? Because you, you didn't stay in Australia long, did you? No, no. What well, we both left after graduation. Right, right. So uh, what was the next step for you guys? Um, so I went into Bible training first and, um, during that time, Pam was still in Australia and I went to Hong Kong for my Bible training. Um, that took about like two years. So we were apart for that time. And then afterwards we got married and it was Pam's turn to be in Bible training. I see. Yeah. So after her Bible training, I guess at that time, you know, we were ready to go to any mission field as a couple. And at that time, we got a call from a lead pastor, Pastor Eric Chang. He gave us a call and asked Pam and I whether or not we would like to go to Toronto, Canada to help out with the church work over there. I didn't mind, you know, where God would put me because after all, this is God's work. But I think Pam had never envisioned herself to go back to a first world country. 
she thought that, you know, when she got the call to serve in ministry, she will be in some kind of third world or developing country. But I'll let her talk about that. So after I committed my life to Christ, um, I also had the opportunity to go on mission trips to other parts of Asia, like um, Northern Thailand and the Philippines. And I think my experiences there really just, again, you know, made a huge impact in my life. And I saw the the need of people there in, in places that are in third world countries or developing countries. And they're... They're longing for life, whether it was just to go to school, their passion for God, and they just really had a need, which was, you know, very different from my experience in Australia where, and because life was so comfortable, there was no need. There were, you know, people didn't feel an immediate need for God. They were very distracted with their own lives and, you know, entertainment and just being comfortable. And I think that's why as... I was going through my studies and education. I thought, you know, God, I want to do something for you. And I always thought, you know, I'd be going to one of these developing countries to, to teach or to, to do mission work. And that's why after I graduated, I went straight for China. You know, I thought, you know, I should go there and teach and reach out to the people there. And so as I left Australia, I actually left not intending to go back. So maybe to visit because we, we had a lot of family and friends in Australia, but um, never again to live. And, of course, I hadn't even considered any other first world country because I just thought, you know, I don't want to be in a place where I can get, I'll get too complacent or where people are not hungry for the word of God. And so I sort of left with that, that mentality. So when yeah. Stan told me that I'll, um, Pastor Eric had caught and asked if we'd go to Canada, <laughs> I was, in a, I was a little shocked. Um, it wasn't what I was expecting. So I didn't say yes immediately. But at the same time, I think um, I had always known Pastor Eric as a man of God and his, his life had really, his life spoke to me in, in a huge way as well. And I thought, okay, well, if, you know, a man of God and being our senior pastor to suggest this, then no, I'm willing to go and take a look. I'm willing to go give it a shot. And I think at that right. time it was just going to be a two-year stint. So two years passes very quickly. But now we've been here for over 10 years. Wow. What about England? Weren't you in England for a little bit too? My parents were in England. They were actually oh, serving okay. in yeah a church in Liverpool, England, for seven years. And there was... You know, every summer holidays um, in Australia, I would go over to England to visit them. Um, so, yeah, that's the extent of my stay in England. Okay. Wow. So when you first got to Canada, what did you notice that was different than what you were used to before? I, I mean, the cold weather probably, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest thing. <laughs> Canada, in many ways, is very similar to Australia because it's very multicultural. They're part of the Commonwealth. Um, lifestyle was pretty much the same. But, uh, yeah, I guess the only difference is the weather. I mean, the very cold weather and autumn leaves in Canada. That's very nice change from Australia. I just wanted to talk a little bit more about um, uh, God leading us to, to Canada. Yeah, yeah, please do. I'm guessing that because uh, CDC was predominantly um, Asian, um, Pam and I were pretty much 
one of the the fewer co-workers who I guess would speak English uh, natively and and also because we were a lot younger then um, so that's probably why Pastor Eric Chang asked whether or not we would like to come to Canada um, but coming to Canada also was a step of faith because at that time we can only come to Canada as a tourist and we would have to you know think of ways how we're we going to stay in Canada uh, oh, right and so when we arrived in Canada um, we started searching you know different ways that we can stay in Canada to work in the church because and then um, I think not long after we found out that there was this reciprocal agreement between Australia and Canada which would allow Pam and myself um, to apply for a work holiday visa and um, so we applied for that and we were granted you know a two-year open work permit that we can work at the church we thought like, wow, you know, God is really giving us an assurance because I think that's the most important thing. Like, um, you know, when God sends you to somewhere, um, we might have certain doubts in our hearts, but, you know, God gives us assurances that this is the place that he wants you to be. And uh, not only that, as you know, like in Canada and North America, we, we drive on the which side do we drive on? Right-hand side, yeah. We drive on the right-hand side. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in Australia, we drive on the left-hand side, right? And yeah. so um, that's going to cause a lot of problems, you know, with the driving. But that's, that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is that when we first came to Canada, the church, you know, was filled with elderly, and we had to drive a lot of people around. And ah. at that time, Canada didn't allow for didn't allow for driver's license conversion. So I couldn't just come to Canada with my Australian license and have it converted. Mm. Uh, I would have to go through the whole test and I was a bit rusty in my driving because I just came from Hong Kong at that time. It cost a bit of money and you know we didn't have a lot of money. And so I was thinking, okay, so if God wants me to take this driver's test, I'll take it. But it just so happened, you know, that year Canada changed its policy. And they would allow, you know, Australian drivers with the driver's license do a direct conversion, you know, to a Canadian's driver's license. Ah. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know. Very it, good. Yeah. So it doesn't, sound, doesn't sound like a big deal. You know, I could have just taken a test. But to us, it was a big deal because it was like God's assurance that, yes, I want you here at this time. So, you know, these were like um, two out of many other things that God was just continuously just opening up doors and just giving us the assurance that, you know, he wants us to work in this mission field. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's talk about college ministry. How did you get started with that? I mean, you mentioned when you arrived, it was mostly older folks that you were <laughs> ministering yeah. to and working with and, and driving around, apparently. Um, so how does the college aspect of things get started? Let me just... Yeah, I mentioned this because when Pastor Eric called us to, to come to Canada, um, he was like, to come and help with the youth work, right? So I think um, ever since our student days, we were, you know, involved in reaching out to young people, you know, our own peers. And then when I got into teaching, again, I was working with um, college students. And then in our church in Hong Kong, we were also part of what would you'd call like a predominantly student church. 
And um, so when we were asked to come to Toronto to help with the youth work, we thought, oh, great. Except when we arrived, we are like, where are all the youth? <laughs> there weren't any at church. I think <laughs> the average age was 80. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So wow. we pretty much had to start from scratch. And I think that's when it really became a challenge to us. It was, you know, I never thought that Canada could be a mission field you know, compared to the developing countries and what I was expecting. But this was a real mission field. And I think that's where we really experienced God because when you don't have any contacts and you're starting from scratch, you really depend on God to to cause a miracle to happen. Yeah, so we pretty much started it off just going into the universities and talking to people on campus and the cafeterias. Um, Thankfully, I think, Canada's um, universities are a little bit more open and security is not like as tight. I know in America it's hard to get into campuses um, if you're not studying there. But here, you know, people are allowed to roam about freely. And, you know, this, that was the beginning, you know, just talking to people. And, of course, um, Canadians are really friendly. You know, they, they're very yes, happy. They to, yeah, they're very happy to talk to you. But what we discovered was... It was great until we mentioned the words God, Bible, and then suddenly they're very busy. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it is a very secular country, isn't it? Very Very. liberal, yes. You're going to these college campuses, and you guys, did you start out in Toronto? Is that where you always were? In in Canada? Yeah. Were you in Montreal first, or did you start in Toronto? Yeah, when we were first asked to come here, it was to Toronto, Canada. Yeah, because... Yeah, just like what Pam said, the church in Toronto was actually flourishing uh, at one stage. Um, it was so inspired and motivated um, that actually there were a lot of um, brothers and sisters from the church who got the call to go into um, full-time ministry. And a lot of them had actually left, had gone back to Asia to start up uh, different types of ministries. And I think... Um, That's interesting. Yeah, there were quite a number of them. Yeah, several things happened... And um, the church went to a decline. It was reduced to 12 people with an average age of 80. And um, we were, yeah, I mean, we were worshiping in a church where you had, where if you looked out of the window, you would see a cemetery, right? And so you've got these, these brothers and sisters with an average age of 80 looking outside um, at a cemetery. It was a very depressed situation. And it was at that time, you know, Pastor Calvin, um, who had come together with us to Toronto to revive the church, he said that we have to move. You know, we cannot stay in this place um, because if we do, it's just going to die. And so that's how we ended up going to the university because, um, you know, after uh, getting together, we were praying and we were asking God, you know, where should we go? Like, we know that we have to leave. Where should we go? And so he led us to the University of Toronto because that was really where the hub of um, all the students are. Right. Talk about the University of Toronto a little bit and give us a little flavor for it because a lot of us in America don't know much about it. It's a pretty big school, right? Yeah. So it's it's just grown over the years. Yeah. Like right now, I believe it has, it has a total of three campuses. Um, there's a downtown campus, and then there are two in the suburban areas. 
Um, I think if you were to add all the number of people, all the students together, it will be like a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand students. Wow, that's huge. Yeah, it's massive, and that's why you know this would be the ideal location um, to reach out to students. You know, that's what we did, and I think because University of Toronto has a very strong student union, and their emphasis is to create more. Um, clubs, more campus clubs, and I think that's where it kind of benefited um, our ministry there, because um, yeah, we were able to set up a campus ministry there. University of Toronto is also very multicultural, and I think it's you know wooing a lot of um, international students, especially Chinese international students, because it's got a very strong uh, business program. And it also has a very good name um, for students to actually uh, study and then go back. And then, you know, when they're in China, they tell people, you know, I'm from University of Toronto, and they've actually heard of it before. Yeah. That's also very important. And yeah, Ham has anything to add to that? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, many of the local Canadians they already have a very, I guess, negative view about anything to do with religion. Especially being a very liberal um, city, so um, when like when we reach out to people in in campus, we don't really we're not targeting a specific group of people. But what we notice is that a lot of people, especially the local people, really weren't interested, or they because of the negative view. Once we mentioned anything to do with God, you know, the the conversation quickly ended. But um, with the amount of international students coming in, um, many of them, especially those from Asia, they didn't have much of a background. They had heard very little about the Bible, about God, about Jesus Christ, and because they didn't have a background, they were more open. Yeah, they were all more open to finding out more. And when they came to listen to the Bible, they actually benefited from the stories, from the parables that、um, Jesus told. And so we found that you know they were more receptive. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so interesting. So you're in this incredibly liberal environment that's almost like anti-Christian in some ways, and yet、uh, in the midst of that, there are all these people that are coming in that are really open to consider it, and you know they they're not aware of the sort of reigning Canadian attitudes <laughs> against Christianity, right? I mean, they're just like, hey. This is the West, you know.、Yeah. This is a nice, cold place. <laughs> <laughs> so,、uh, talk to me about how that developed over time. You know, your first year, did you have like a couple of students, and you grew from there, or wh- what's it been like over the years? I mean, you've been there ten years now, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Well, oh, I think、yeah. it was an amazing story how we started because reaching out to strangers is really difficult, but. Um, I think here Stan had an amazing experience that he can probably share. Yeah, so、um, just following from how we ended up in the University of Toronto. So, you know, we we ended up in the University of Toronto. We just rented a small classroom, and <laughs> it was quite interesting because、um, I forgot to mention the twelve. Not all of them were elderly, but、um, we we're predominantly Chinese. So. So we moved all the way to University of Toronto、uh, in a classroom, and because we wanted to reach out to more students, and、um, we wanted to make it a little bit more international,、uh, 
because up until then, our church was still Chinese. It was still Chinese speaking. We we're still preaching in Chinese. We we're still speaking in Chinese. But, you know, if you're going to be reaching out to a lot of um, other people of um, different nationalities, you got to speak um, the language of commerce, which is English. And so um, what we would do from then on was to preach in English and have it translated into Chinese. And it was quite comical because every Sunday you will see like um, Pastor Calvin or myself, um, we would be preaching uh, in English. Most of the audience would only understand Chinese. And so we would you know, be preaching in English and then having it translated into Chinese for them to understand. Anyway, so that's a little bit of um, just to put you into a scenario of what was going on. Right. Now, with the campus work, you know, when we first started this um, Bible study group, um, we were hoping to draw more um, students in. And so we made all these flyers um, inviting people to come. And um, we, you know, made this really nice looking flyers. We showed it around. And I thought that there were going to be heaps of students coming to this event. Right. And then so we waited for that day. And uh, we had a grand total of um, five people. And those five people constituted um, of me, Pam, uh, Pastor Calvin, his wife, and another coworker. <laughs> 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 so basically, that no one came. <laughs> so nobody came. Okay. Yeah. I think this was really God's reminder um, to us because Pastor Calvin would um, turn that Bible study into a prayer meeting. You know, for that day, for that day. And it reminded us that everything has to begin with prayer. You know, you might have all these great plans. You might want to do a lot of things, but it has to begin with prayer. So I think that was a very valuable lesson um, for me. Anyhow, so um, we kept at it and we, we kept that reaching out um, to students. And um, I guess there were one or two people because, you know, we started making friends and they came to the Bible study, but there still weren't any university students coming. So anyhow, um, there was this one time I went out to the university's cafeteria and, um, you know, we're reaching out. And every time we mention the word God, a Bible study, you know, we'll get shut down. Um, but there was this guy I still remember, you know, he was reading the newspaper and I was kind of looking over towards his direction. And um, it was almost time for Bible study. But then I felt like, you know, God was telling me, hey, you know, go talk to that guy. And, you know, I'm kind of struggling with God. I'm like, uh, really? <laughs> Should I be talking to that guy? That guy is already reading newspaper. I'm going to be shut down again. But I can really feel God compelling me to go over to that guy and just talk to him. So I went up there and I started talking to him. And indeed, you know, he was very friendly. But once I mentioned Bible study, um, he seemed to be, he suddenly, you know, he needed to go somewhere or something like that. As the conversation went on, um, I asked him, oh, where did he study in high school? And he said he came from Hong Kong. And at that time, I thought, hey, I know this other... Yeah, he, he said that he was um, studying in Hong Kong in a particular high school. And then I said, hey, I know another student who studied in that same high school. So, you know, I decided to take a shot and... Asked this guy, hey, do you know this friend of, you know, do you know this guy? And so this guy, he says, that's my best friend. 
(laughs) (laughs) Wow. I was like, no way, you know, (laughs) because um, this guy apparently who was his best friend was attending one of our churches in Hong Kong. And um, because there was this connection, the barriers went down and um, he felt very comfortable in coming to the Bible study. And so once he came to the Bible study, he felt like, wow, God's word is amazing. Because at that time, you know, we were studying the parables and the parables are very interesting, you know, and he felt like it really helped him a lot. And then he started asking other friends to come and bear in mind, these guys are all non-believers, but they felt that, wow, the power of the word was, was very interesting. It was very powerful. And so he starts asking his friend and his friends start coming and it starts building up. And then one day um, they ask us, how do you guys rent this room? Like, do you guys pay for it? And then we said, um, yeah, we pay for it, you know, every week. And then they said, if we formed a campus club, then we would be able to rent these rooms for free because then we'll be an official campus club. And so Uh from then on, um, God just inspired this group of non-believers to start up a Christian (laughs) club. (laughs) Wow, that's incredible. It is. That's how this whole uh, campus club, it's called Logos Fellowship at the University of Toronto. And that's how it started. And from then on, I think because it gave us a position, gave us a foothold. Yeah, gave us a foothold um, at the university. And um, we were able to participate in the university's annual university club fair, which begins at, in, you know, at, at the beginning of every school semester. And we were able to use that as a platform to reach out to more students and to invite ah. them to come to the university. Yeah. And um, that has gone on for 10 years. And although, you know, a lot of students, they come and go because, you know, they come to study and they graduate and then they go to different parts of the world uh, or they go back home. But at least, you know, it was an opportunity where a seed could be sown into their hearts. And hopefully from there, um, they can carry on in terms of looking, uh, pursuing after God, you know, wherever it is that they are. I haven't really done a count of how many people uh, or how many students have been reached out to. But um, I think, yeah, there have been quite a number over the years. And those who have actually stayed in Toronto have actually stayed behind um, at this fellowship. So, you know, we have an average of about... Yeah, 40 people in our um, student fellowship every Friday. God is still bringing in, you know, new people, you know, to the fellowship. Very cool. That's, that's so great. Uh, Pam, did you want to add anything to that? Before, you know, starting a club and being an official campus group, um, just wanted to mention it was not easy at the beginning. So I think Stan mentioned about reaching out to the student who brought another student, but I think for about six months, we only had about two or three people join, like other than ourselves. So it was a very small group. It was a very small Bible study. And I remember during those six months, it was tough. Like I remember I was often in tears and just praying and crying out to God, is this really what you want us to do? And, you know, like we're, we're paying to rent a room every week for like these two, three people, there are times that you would question, you know, is God, is this your will? Is this worth it? And, but I think it was really learning to be faithful and consistent, you know, in, in keeping the group running. Often, you know, we, when a situation like this occurs, we feel that, oh, you know, well, let's meet when people have time and, 
your meetings would be very choppy. You have it this week, you don't have it that week. But, oh, I see. you know, we, we learned to just be faithful to the tasks that, you know, God had, had given us. And I think through learning to do that, when people were interested and they, they would come, there would be a group for them to join. So I think that six months, you know, at the beginning was really good training for us. It was really key as well. It kept us very humble and yeah, really yeah, learned a lot of humility there. Yeah, mm. really depending on God for, you know, his work and his grace. But, you know, he, God was really faithful too. I remember this one week. Um, so we, we had about two students or two young people at that time. And one we already knew couldn't make it that week. So we thought, okay, great. It's going to be a two to one Bible study. And then we found, we find out from this one student um, that his friend's coming to town to visit him. So we thought, great, he's not going to show up either. Because <laughs> usually, you know, when your friend comes, you want to show them around, you know, right. like go to the tourist spots. So we were expecting him also not to show up. But um, that week he ends up bringing his friend to Bible study. And so for those six months, we never had less than two people. Like aside from us, you know, there was never less than two. So, you know, God was always just keeping that for us as well. So although we, there were times we felt discouraged, but I think just learning to be faithful because God is faithful and eventually all that paid off. Yeah. So you had persistence, prayer, and over time you, you saw, you saw fruit from the, you know, the work you were doing there. What about some lessons that maybe you've learned? I mean, obviously, what you mentioned before about losing students all the time has got to be very difficult because, you know, they graduate, you've invested in them, and now they're gone. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, there's nothing really that can be done about that. Uh, But what other key lessons have you learned uh, in working with college students? I think with um, the students, you know, coming and going, it's also a reminder to be flexible and to really let go. And to know that this is God's work, not our work. A lot of times, you know, we invest so much in people that you almost want to hold on to them for yourself. But, um, yeah, it's just a reminder that, um, and especially with young people, sometimes they are forever changing. Um, A lot of things, um, it's not as it seems at the time. So someone may not be interested, but you find that later on in the track in their lives, you know, the seeds that were sown come into fruition. And there are ones who seem very passionate, but later on, you know, they lose that passion and they get distracted with their careers and other things. Yeah, so it's really just being faithful to the work and knowing that this is God's work. And I think another thing I've learned too is, um, you know, like um, Stan and I, we, maybe being Asian, we can kind of disguise ourselves in the university as being young <laughs> so a lot of them think you know oh what year are you in what are you studying and then they find out we've we graduated <laughs> long ago um, but we know that we're getting old as well and I think the key thing to discipleship is really training the younger generation to reach out so I've really felt the importance of that of passing on the baton or passing on the work so training the younger ones so that they can reach out to their peers, to the other students, because eventually there is a little bit of a generation gap, you know, um, 
Yeah, there is. Yeah, over time. like the TV shows and the pop culture that they're into, we don't know about. <laughs> so you really need the next generation to reach out to the next generation. Anything to add into that, Stan? We would all like to have some kind of formula, you know, to um, to, to follow uh, in terms of outreach. Like, if I follow these steps, then I will get this. Um, but I think, you know, in life and especially in Reaching out, it's a matter of um, principles, um, you know, that we follow. And some of these, you know, principles for us to consider, and in my experience, is like what you had said already, prayer, you know, persistence, being strong and courageous, and have the humility to accept rejection. Because I think we might be very inspired to go out after listening to a great preaching, and then suddenly you find that no one responds, then you get kind of depressed. <laughs> I think that's a very good um, training process for us, you know, to accept rejection and just keep on at it, keep on at it. And then eventually you will, you, you'll really experience, you know, um, God leading you somewhere. One other thing that, you know, over these years that we found is very important is stick to the word of God. You know, if you want to build up campus work, um, you know, offer Bible studies um, rather than a lot of social activities. Um, because, yeah, what we've realized in that is that at university, there's a lot of Christian groups, lots of Christian groups, and they offer a lot of activities. But there seems to be a lack of the Word of God. Um, so much so, you know, that during university uh, clubs fair, uh, we have students come up to us and ask us, are you a scripture-based you know, um, Christian club? Um, meaning that, do we offer Bible studies? Um, so that's where you can actually see that there is a lack of um, Bible studies. And I can understand why, because activities attract a lot of people. Um, when you take a look at a Bible study or a group, what you want is numbers. I don't think that is what God wants. God is looking for quality over quantity. And, you know, if you stick to it, even if you have one or two people coming just because of the word of God, these are, you know, one or two very important people who will be built up as leaders in the future, leading the people in the word of God. And um, we really have to have this faith that the word of God is powerful enough you know, to attract people and to change people's lives. You know, don't go for the temporary success, but go for the long-term, you know, spiritual success, which is based on the Word of God. Yeah, and so many times those other aspects, whether it's bringing in pizza or music or games <laughs> and all this, you know, the whole point of it is to get people to the place of studying Scripture. Yes. Uh, but I, I think a lot of times it just ends up defeating itself where now that's all they want is the entertainment, the glitz, the glam. Yeah. And you, you don't ever actually get around to any kind of like meaty Bible study, which is really what any genuine Christian ministry, I, I would imagine is it would want. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think having a little courage and confidence that, Hey, this, you know, God's behind this book. He speaks through it and he's, able to change people's lives by, uh, you know, applying it to their lives. 
and um, you know proceeding in that way. I think that's that's a, a great uh, great point you make. Uh, what what about your future? Do you uh, see yourself staying there for another five years, ten years, uh, or is it like every year? You don't know. I mean, you could be up in um, <laughs> Green- Greenland or uh, <laughs> some other strange place. Yeah, some Chinatown in Greenland. Like you said, you know, it, it's going to be like each year we really have to wait upon God to see um, how he leads. I've, you know, I've been making those five-year plans five years ago, but I don't think that any of that five-year plan actually was was strictly followed, I could say. Yeah, because, for example, you know, like, um, I think like five years ago, you know, I hadn't even met uh, you or Living Hope or Restitutio or, you know, the Converge brothers and sisters, but somehow, you know, God has opened up the road. Yeah, so it's hard to say. I really yeah. have to, you know, learn to be flexible. Yeah, and here's something else to, to just mention while we're on the subject, is that the CDC really could develop some presence in the United States, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't really talk about that in this interview. But, of course, I have interviewed... Calvin Chan before and you know talked about how the CDC is really concentrated in Asian countries and then in uh, Canada a little bit but um, yeah. I, I, I on behalf of my fellow Americans we welcome you to this country as well <laughs> <laughs> not that uh, I have any authority so to do that <laughs> but we have lots of Chinese people in our universities here in our, our big cities as well so uh, maybe maybe some expansion over time yep I'll definitely have to yeah, keep that in prayer. What about uh, to somebody who's thinking about getting involved in college, a college outreach? Would you, what would you say to that person? I think um, like we, Stan mentioned before, you know, just starting with the small group, even if you find one or two people that are interested, you know, that's all we need to start and just being faithful to that. So never feeling that that one person is too little. Yeah, so I think that's that's key. And also I think when reaching out to college students as well, a lot of them, I think, I guess even in America, a lot of these college students are away from family. And, you know, they, they, they do long for family. And especially for, if, for international students as well, if you could you know, provide that family setting for them to take them into your family, care for them. Um, it, it does speak in many ways. Yeah, and I think um, I think there are a lot of people who are very lonely out there. Um, and you know, like on the negative side of things, we see that yeah, there are a lot of lonely people out there, and that's why you see on the news different types of predators looking for these lonely people but if we can actually see it from the spiritual side of things like instead of these lonely people being being made victims to these predators we should be actually looking out for these lonely people and reaching out to them and giving them the gospel and i guess you know from that you know a work can actually be built up and hopefully you know these people these lonely people will be saved you know, from the predators that are out there. Yeah, so I th- I mean, the more I think about it, I think um, we just need to go out there and look for these people, you know, who are really yearning for something 
um, looking for friendship, looking for meaning in life, um, looking for a community that they can really grow, you know, with um, and have a healthy lifestyle um, and have a healthy community uh, with. Yeah, that's just off the top of my head. Yeah, very good. All right, well, thanks for talking with me today and uh, sharing about your lives. I realize these are personal questions I was asking, but, uh, you know, you guys are just such an inspiration to many of us to see this uh, this couple that's just sold out for the Lord, willing to go anywhere and uh, speak to people. So thanks for your uh, your willingness to share about your lives today. Our pleasure. Well, thank, yeah, thank you for giving us this opportunity to just really glorify our gods. Oh, Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's it for this interview. If you'd like to find out more about the Christian Disciples Church, you can visit them online at christiandiscipleschurch.org. If you'd like to reach out to Stan or Pam, you can reach them by email, stanintoronto at gmail.com or pamintoronto at gmail.com. On another note, we've we've gotten some feedback in from our last episode on... Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 21, and the whole question of abortion that uh, Dr. Jerry Werewell shared on. Matthew Elton writes in, The only biblical text that directly addresses this subject? That's a bold claim. What about Numbers 5? Kim Magnuson writes, I agree with Matthew Elton that Numbers 5 also has some interesting information on abortion beliefs during Old Testament times. It is fascinating that with the Exodus 21 verse 22 scriptures that there is no further written testimonies within historic findings from that time regarding final priest rulings on various cases. And this could be also said for Numbers 5 beginning with verse 11. Also, as much as the abortion issue is in the forefront of today's Christian movement, it certainly wasn't front and center in Jesus' teachings. Jesus, being a Jew, must have thought life began at breath, as that was the Torah teachings of the time, I believe. Conception was not a beginning of life model. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 doesn't really add any clarity to the issue either. Since I believe Jews thought the child to be a possession of the mother, then perhaps it was given the same status as the beaten but surviving slave. From what I can find from a site, the fetus in Jewish law, it appears that breath and exiting of the womb is required in order to give the fetus life status. It also says that a criminal woman, if she is pregnant, would be executed regardless of her pregnancy up until the point she is in labor, at which time the execution would be halted to allow birth. It is a complicated issue with many facets, and I appreciate Jerry's attempt to address biblical comments on the subject of abortion as well as Sean's comments. God bless. Well, Kim, I really haven't heard much about the Jewish the Jewish tradition on this subject. Uh, I could tell you that the Jewish scriptures don't at all specify that life only begins once a child exits the womb. There's no verse that says that. I have heard a number of people make the case that since Adam became a living being, Genesis 2-7, at the point that he, that God breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, that on the basis of that, some people will say, well, breathing is the beginning of life for a baby. However, that, I think, sets up a false analogy because Adam wasn't in a womb prior to breathing as was everyone else not created directly by God 
<laughs> so uh, I think it fails to be a proper analogy. And really, the, and the whole question of life is not addressed in Scripture. So I think it is one of these areas that is more a matter of science than a, a strict biblical kind of question. As far as numbers five goes, let me just read that out for the listeners who maybe not are who maybe are not familiar with this text. This is numbers five nineteen. There's more context to it than this, but this is the real key part that Matthew Elton was bringing to our attention. It says, "Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority to be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse, but if you have gone astray." Though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. May this water that brings the curse pass into your bowels and make your womb swell and your thigh fall away. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Now, on those same last two verses, that would be Numbers 5, 21 and 22, I was reading from the ESV. However, the NRSV translates it as, Let the priest make the woman take the oath of the curse and say to the woman, The Lord make you an execration and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your uterus drop and your womb discharge. Now, may this water that brings the curse into your bowels and make your womb discharge, your uterus drop, and the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. So in the ESV, it talks about how the the thigh will fall away and the body will swell, which just sounds like a kind of an uncomfortable situation. <laughs> Doesn't necessarily sound like an abortion of any kind, but I could see how maybe this is some sort of uh, idiom that maybe this is just a delicate way of talking about an abortion. Uh, I would I would be curious if anyone else has done research on this to clarify this, that this is a legitimate Hebrew idiom. But even if this is the case, that this translation issue, and the, a lot of the translators do not take a position on it. They just translate it literally like the ESV does. But even if the NRSV is right, and this is talking about a divinely brought abortion. This text cannot be used to justify abortion as we think of it, since it would be miraculous. It would be a miraculous divine punishment, not something one human performs on another. It's not clear to me that this is talking about abortion, but even if it is, you can't say, well, if God performs abortions, then it's okay for me to as well. No, God is a creator and sustainer of life. He's qualified to carry out all kinds of judgments that we humans aren't allowed to do, right? Maybe in a future episode we can dig into this text deeper. If any of you, though, have already researched this or have thoughts and insights into this Numbers 5 passage, please come on restitutio.org and leave a comment on episode 299, Does the Bible Support Abortion with Jerry Werwell? That's it for now. I'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.